0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna Lafleur. This is season six, episode. Seven. We are talking about the fruit of the spirit all season long, and it's been really cool. Even just today, as I'm recording, I just got a message from someone saying that they're grateful for um, this theme that the fruit of the spirit is timely for them in their life. So, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad for that because uh, we've never done a themed series before, and so I do hope we do hope as a whole team that this is helpful, timely, encouraging for you. On the podcast today, we have Tiffany Bloom. We're talking about the fruit of faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful to church when you've just been continually in like a difficult or even painful, even maybe even harmful relationship with the church? What do you do to be faithful to Jesus and to the body of Christ when maybe that is a place that has harmed you? That's a huge conversation, I think an important one, and we're going to tackle that a little bit today. Um, you know, we can't cover it all in an hour, but we're gonna we're gonna try to, to talk about it at some level. So thanks so much to Compassion Canada and to Waybase.com for making this season possible. I'm gonna tell you more about them later in the podcast. If you haven't heard, uh, stick with me. Waybase is one of our new sponsors, would love to to tell you about them. So Tiffany Bloom, author, speaker, podcaster She wrote a book recently called Pray Tell, Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. So obviously that's a way we're going to lean into the topic of faithfulness. Um, Men and women listening, I do hope that you lean in and consider the voice and the stories of people who are really longing to be faithful in church and, uh, have to grapple with some of these issues. So, Hey, besides the podcast, we of course want you to not just listen, but, uh, subscribe, rate, review, share, post comment, all the things that help us know that you're listening, help us also share this with more people. Uh, the best way for other people to get this content is for you to share it with them. But the second best way is things like the ratings and reviews and the ways that that really does help us appear in people's searches. So if you have a chance to do that, we'd love it. Uh, Meanwhile, with Word Made Digital, just a reminder, we've got all these tutorials and stuff. So uh, if you want more content from Word Made Digital, we've got this backlog now of six seasons of a podcast with brilliant minds, and we've got Word Made Digital tutorials. If you work in church leadership, church communications, creative, whatever that may be, we'd love for you to check them out, wordmadedigital.com. But hey, here is my conversation with Tiffany Bloom.
1: Enjoy welcome to the word made digital podcast with joanna lafleur you're listening to season six word made digital brings you interviews with christian creatives and communicators to inspire challenge and equip you in your own work the church has the best news in the world so we
0: Bloom, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm I'm really glad to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I um, we have a mutual friend in Ashley Abercrombie, who you host a podcast with, and so yeah. I know of you, but we've never met before. Can you tell us as a as like a dive in because that's a maybe a point of connection for some people who may know Ashley Abercrombie? Um, tell us about your podcast. What Is your podcast focus? (laughs) What do you do over there? So
2: I am the co-host alongside Ashley of the Why Though podcast, answering the existential questions we ask ourselves. Everything from why systemic racism to what is our favorite frozen pizza and everything in between. And we started fall of twenty eighteen. So we're it'll be three years this fall. And we're just, we're chugging along. We've got a pretty diverse audience and we are really excited to grapple with the big questions in life.
0: Yeah, I love it. Why though? Why? <laughs> it's so great. I mean, that's the question we all ask and I find it really like a creative approach to podcasting. Um uh, I just I love your podcast, so oh, i'm I'm glad to you. glad to be connecting so I mean, you have as a you know continuing to try and introduce you to people um can you tell us a little bit of your story of maybe start with like where are you at today and then we can go backwards so who are you today who what do you how do you spend your
2: time? You got it. So, again, Tiffany Bloom, and I live in the Seattle area. I'm married. I have two little boys. My oldest is adopted from Uganda, and my youngest is straight out the chute. Um, I'm East Indian, so we've got a little bit of United (laughs) Nations thing going on here. And I've spent the majority of my adult life speaking, writing, discipling women. Uh, That's looked like reaching out to women on the margins, whether they have. been involved in the sex industry or or part of the homeless population or in recovery, um, have written several books in Bible studies. And I, I truly love the intersection of women, faith, and justice. Um, has spent some time in pastoral church ministry as well as just outreach nonprofit work. And now these days I spend most of my days writing, speaking, of course, not in the pre-pandemic days. It was a joy to speak in person, but of course now it's limited to Zoom messages and sermons and keynotes. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I'm hanging out in the, in the Northwest corner of the USA doing my thing. Awesome. Awesome. Well,
0: And as you say, you know, as a communicator, the world has so changed, um, what have you found has been, I mean, there's, there's stuff that's not so fun about it. Um, you know, as a communicator, you want to be with the people, you want to see their faces, but what's some stuff that you've learned in online communicating maybe, or something that you think is an advantage or like, what is something that has been good about that last year for you?
2: I would say just the, the obvious answer And the one that I think yields more than some of us want to even realize is just the far reaching impact you can have. It's one thing to speak to 500 people in a room and you can make eye contact and work with that nonverbal communication and read the room. And that is such a joy and thrill as a communicator. But the beauty of seeing the inspiring words that the Lord's laid on your heart, be able to resonate with somebody who's six, 7,000, 8,000, 9,000 miles away. That's a very humbling humbling idea and realization, one that I treasure, one that I didn't see the full value of before the pandemic.
0: Mm, Yeah, I love that. It's true. Uh, As much as we want to be with people where they are, it's kind of amazing that we can be with people wherever they are, um, through this technology. And, and I mean, a lot of what you've been doing lately, I'm sure has been surrounding this book. And one of the reasons we're, you know, connecting today, this book, your most recent book, you have a few books, but it's called Pray Tell Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. And, uh, in this whole season we're in as a podcast at Word Made Digital, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit because everybody needs more (laughs) of that. Um, in like, just the like exhausting digital spew that seems to be out there and a lot of Christians are involved in it. Uh we need more of the evidence of God's fruit in us, the Holy Spirit's fruit in us. So we want to talk about faithfulness today because in your story you um you come out this side of it really faithful. Like as you're sharing, like you love Jesus, you love uh his people and you love his church and I want to understand why or what has enabled and empowered you to be that way. But uh, let's dive into your story. Tell us a little bit about this book. Maybe maybe let me back up a bit before we get to the story. Why this book now? Um, why? Because you've written other books. So why is this a story that you told at this moment?
2: Yeah, my previous work is centered around more Christian women's empowerment and issues that we're facing that anyone can relate to and this book particularly is a pretty hard right turn going into some choppy waters addressing issues that people might not always uh, see eye to eye on and it can be it can be in the <laughs> it can be a little bit controversial and it is about why we silence women who tell the truth and how everyone can speak up and it really bubbled out of my own experience of speaking truth to power and losing more than i ever thought I would ever lose in my lifetime. And as I grappled with the societal, financial, professional, spiritual ramifications of speaking truth to power, when a man abused his power at a woman's expense, I've found where at us as believers, we have sometimes missed the mark on walking alongside those who are hurting and really asking ourselves when we see something, is it our job to say something? When we see impropriety, when we see mm-hmm. uh, something that's not quite right, do we have that moral, ethical, and Christian obligation to speak up? Or do we kind of shake our hands and think, not my circus, not my monkeys"? So it really addresses... Culturally, scripturally, why we have demeaned, subjugated and silenced women throughout the years and how we've weaponized scripture to do so and what it looks like to be faithful to the scriptures, to be faithful to the instruction of Jesus and to live out a full life, inviting women to take their place uh, and build equitable and equal spaces for all. So this
0: imbalance of power, I think a lot of us recognize it. We see it all over the place. Where does this come from or... or, uh, what it what where what is the system behind this thing it's not just one incident in one place it's many incidents in many places what have you seen
2: right we see it in both sacred and secular culture and it permeates education religion entertainment obviously politics we see it everywhere we see this imbalance of power where when a man abuses his power at a woman's expense he's often compensated applauded we hold up his uh, his accolades over a woman's accusations when she is demeaned. Now, when I talk about imbalance of power, I mean that in a couple of ways. I mean that in a way that he might take advantage of her body. He might take advantage of her reputation. He might take advantage of her finances. He might take advantage of her future. And it's been said that it's not a Hmm. woman's resources, education, or connections that will determine the trajectory of her life. It's if a man will abuse his power at her expense. So she could do everything right, play by all the rules. In my own life and in my own experience, I was the girl who played by all the rules. So when I spoke up and reported something that was of ill will, I was reminded to stay in my lane, to stay Mm -hmm. in my spot and that this was not my issue and that who was I to hurt the witness? Who was I to speak up against a quote unquote good man? And I think so many of us find ourselves in situations where we don't want to rock the boat because we don't want to get thrown out. Or we don't want to rock the boat because we want to be seen as agreeable. And for many of us, if we want to honor the gatekeeper who let us in, whether it be the church, our job, the gym, uh, the educational setting, uh, whether it's our sports team, whatever the case may be, we often want to honor the person who let us in. But if that person is both dangling a carrot and bringing down the hammer, there's a confusing uh, tension to manage and one where often, especially as believers, we feel like under the Lord, I'm going to stay in this broken system, but I'm going to be faithful to what the Lord has called me to. And where that gets dangerous, where that gets into choppy waters is when those who are oppressing and those who are taking advantage of the women in their world, they know that they're willing to they're willing to take advantage of that, knowing that you'll stay in it because you're a good soldier, because your values require you to stay in a broken system or you believe you can change it even though you might not have the power or ability to do so. And so for many of us, we just stay silent. We stay silent because we don't want to lose our job. Um, uh, Some of the research that I think is so 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 disheartening but but must be known is that white women often have different treatment than women of color when they bring th- something to the surface when they speak an inconvenient truth about their experience and whereas women of color uh, black women are two to three times more likely to be taken advantage of in the workplace indigenous women are 2.5 times more likely than any other ethnic group to be taken advantage of and silenced as women And uh, immigrant women, especially if they don't have documentation to, especially here in the United States, the, the treatment of them and the silencing of them when they are mistreated is outrageous. And even worse, when you see this in faith spaces, you see Old Testament and New Testament passages weaponized against women to subjugate them, to silence them and saying it is holy and righteous to stay silent. But again, that is not a faithful reading of scripture. And that is not a faithful journey that women are walking out when they're betraying who God made them and ordained them to be.
0: Yeah. Well, I love you posted, you didn't know, we didn't know that we're having this conversation uh, about the fruit of the spirit, but you posted on Instagram, this quote that I love. It really resonated for me with this topic because I've seen this played out as well. And you said in this loyalty is not a fruit of the spirit. Faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit. And, and talk to me about that. How, why is it that we feel like this loyalty, you know, as you said, like um, maybe it's cause they hired you in the first place, but there's something about, um, we don't want to come forward with this kind of information. Even, uh, even if we do feel like something's off or we've seen something or we, maybe we can't quite put our finger on it, but, but what is that, that twisting of, of, um, our relationship with people that turns loyalty into, um, like a toxicity
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Like
0: loyalty is viewed as like being faithful.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We all want to belong. We all want to be connected. And when we know or have seen something that would sever that connection, we know we have some social equity, relational equity to lose. And that's hard. That's difficult. It's difficult when you're in a place that you enjoy or like or have received something good from and you know it's hurting or harming someone else. That's a hard pill to swallow. So we're willing to stay loyal and we're willing to turn a blind eye if we are still in proximity to power, if we're still benefiting from a broken system. Again, we could be talking about church or work or wherever, wherever you occupy. But if you're in some way benefiting from it, it's pretty hard to feel like it's your job to speak up or your job to do anything. And at the end of the day, we really want to believe the best about people. And we'll employ the just world hypothesis, which says if something happened to someone, let's say a woman in this situation, because that's the kind of the area of my work here then we believe that she must have done something to deserve it. And you can see how both rape culture and purity culture play into this. She must have done something to deserve it because I don't want to have to address the system at large and believe that it could be operating poorly or operating to someone's harm. Even worse, I don't want to consider my own allegiance or trust to somebody who doesn't deserve it. So we're willing to stay loyal because it is more of an uphill battle to manage and take stock and really look deep into our connections and and our lived realities and how we affect people and how other people affect us and what makes sense to us and how we benefit. Than understanding that there's might be, (laughs) there might be a shark in the water and that this is unsafe and we have to stand up and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's gonna, it's gonna rock the boat, but it's for the benefit of all. It's for the benefit of all. And so for me in my situation, I came to this, uh, rock and a hard place and I had to decide between my faithfulness to my convictions versus my faithfulness to an institution. And I think so many of us find ourselves in these situations where we can continue to make excuses for people's poor behavior or things that we've seen that should not be until we can't anymore. And we realize that we have become lukewarm. We realize that we are becoming part of the problem if we're not going to be part of the answer. And so we must look at our convictions. Well, if I have convictions defined by who Jesus is, then I have to take action. I can no longer stay silent. We must consider how we benefit or if we're neutral or how we're being harmed, because at the end of the day, the powerful in history have not been known to lead, to lead the oppressed to the line of justice, especially if they're Hmm. the ones gleaning or gaining from the situation. So it is on all of us to consider what does faithfulness look like? Now, if you're in a space, especially again, a faith space where faithfulness is synonymous with loyalty and loyalty to an idea an agenda, a specific charismatic yeah. leader—it gets real, well, like I real was just dicey, thinking, real, real yeah. fast. Yeah, just—I mean, I, I'm immediately
0: thinking of where I've seen in job descriptions, or like, so you're applying for a job. It's a job opening, and the job description includes loyalty to leadership as a qualification for the job. Right. Um, not loyalty to—I don't know the the vision or loyalty to Jesus or I don't know, whatever that may be, but actually loyalty to the leader is, um, which you can see at first glance, seems like that makes sense. Like they need to have some level of loyalty to build a team and go in the direction they're going. But, um, but as like a measure of job performance, that becomes challenging when uh, you see something that you need to Uh, You see a concern because this leader, like everybody, isn't going to be a perfect person. So how do you address concerns of any kind if that's viewed as an assault on loyalty to that person?
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And even more so... Research shows that as men have an ascent to power, they're likely to shed the virtues that got them to a place of leadership in the first place. Again, really the fruit of the spirit or any sort of um, generosity or opportunity or the way they would empower or promote others— as they have an ascent to power, they see themselves as more desirable. They see themselves as untouchable. They see themselves as immune to dissent and therefore take advantage of those around them thinking that there will be no consequences for their actions. Again, this is a very predictable pattern of how abusive power plays out. Yet we're continually surprised when good men fall. But if we look at what happens, power really does corrupt when there's a lack of accountability. And I don't mean accountability to like golf buddies. I mean, true accountability to their private and public life and those who can really come to them and speak openly and freely. So we, for the good of all, for the benefit of all, for both the leader and the follower, for both the powerful and the powerless, it requires all of us to consider how we benefit from power, our relationship to power, and our commitment to the fruit of the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us.
0: I want to pause the conversation with Tiffany for a second because in all the things that are hard about church or can be challenging about it, there are also just these amazing and beautiful things that happen when the church leans into doing good in the world and is faithful to Christ and the cause of Christ as representing it towards people, the least of these in the world. And that's really what compassion Canada is all about. Uh, If you're looking to do some good, you're trying to figure out how to be practically involved in good work in the church when you're just so tired of hearing about the negative stuff in church, consider Compassion Canada. There's just so many ways for you to make a difference very practically. You can use your passions and your skills to raise money. Like there's this woman, Robin, who's a business owner owner in Alberta, and she gives a portion of the sales of her jewelry to ensure urgent needs of kids living in poverty. Poverty, have safe water, have sanitation, COVID relief efforts, all that kind of stuff. So, if you're looking to spread a little good and you want to be part of way, the ways that the local church in local communities around the world is helping people, you know, it's not that the Compassion Canada or the Compassion logo is plastered all over. It's the local church helping their own local community, and we through Compassion can be part of actually enabling that to even be possible. So, uh, we want you to get involved. Check check out what's going on. Visit compassion.ca slash good for some practical life-giving ideas of how you can give to the cause of the church in these amazing communities all around the world. Compassion.ca slash good. Yeah. So if we're maybe the metaphor of a greenhouse, cause we're talking about, you know, this series on the fruit of the spirit, that, that it grows in an environment. It not just grows off of the, you know, off of the vine, but it grows in an environment, this greenhouse. Um, We often find at the backside of these stories, like the big public stories of, you know, some man who's had an abuse of power, um, that there has been an environment, the greenhouse has allowed it to grow. Mm -hmm. So what are Mm -hmm. the things that can make, that we can do, all of us men and women listening to make it a less hospitable environment to that kind of growth, to growing in those
2: like toxic directions? What are some things that we can eradicate, get rid of? What a beautiful question. I I want to comment on that first because that is just first of all that's the most beautiful imagery, ever, hands down ever. Uh, But it really is a one-two punch when a man abuses his power. And the second punch is the complicity of the greenhouse, right? Of everybody else who witnessed it, who was complicit in letting it slide. And this, these things that we see on CNN or BBC News or Christianity Today, they don't just happen. Abuse doesn't happen in a vacuum. Abuse of power does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in the open and we let little things slide, So when we talk about all of us, the 90% of us who are not doing these things, who are not taking advantage of people in such a manner, what do we do? It's actually, it it can sound so simple that you might want to brush it off, but it's one of those things that if we can catch things before they take root, hey there, hey, before they take root, we can prevent a (laughs) lot of damage and we can keep the greenhouse doing what it does best, which is growing vibrant fruit. So it's aptly called bystander intervention. And some of the things that all of us, when we see even just mild impropriety, when we notice um, um, someone's talking over somebody, or if we notice uh, someone's downplaying somebody's achievement or uh, contribution to a project, or if a woman is feeling uncomfortable when a man is leaning in to talk to her and she's darting her eyes, if we see something in that moment, we don't have to like go guns blazing, like, hey, this isn't right. We can simply go and change the subject. Just change the subject. Say, hey, I had something on the copy machine. I'm assuming we're at work here. So I have something on the copy machine. Did you want to walk to my desk and we can go over that? Wanted to fill you in, or or if we're in the foyer at church, hey, I was gonna go grab a coffee at the coffee bar. Did you want to walk over there with me? Just changing the subject, and then we go to the person who's perhaps abused their power, and we say, hey, did you see how you came off? If 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 we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, did you see how you came off to so and so? I don't think that person felt very comfortable. They 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 looked a little unsure. That, that I don't I don't think that was a maybe a great move right there. If it's something egregious, then we we say we're going to HR, or we're going to a pastor, or whoever has leadership over this person. Hey, I really feel like I need to report that. That wasn't right, man. And going with, again, a spirit of truth and a spirit of love. And then lastly, we go to this person who's, who's been belittled in this moment, who's been victimized in some way, shape or form. And we say, Hey, I noticed, I I saw this happen to you. Maybe I'm totally off base. Maybe this, this is your relationship with this person and this site you interact. But I, 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 I saw something that didn't look quite right. If you, if you ever need to talk to somebody or if you ever want to go report it, I'll go with you because so many of us, so many of us, we don't necessarily know that we have the courage to speak up, but when others lend their strength, you kind of
0: laugh it off or something. Oh, it's not, you minimize it. You laugh
2: it off. It's, but when someone sees it, right, we, 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 we deny it. Yeah. We're like, Oh, that wasn't anything. We, we value intent over impact and we have to look at the intent. What was the intent of this? The impact was painful and we want to we, we want to give a free pass because, oh, they didn't mean it. That wasn't their intent. But what was the impact? Look at both. And look, if there's some inconsistency there, we have to evaluate that. And walking alongside somebody to see, to see fruitfulness, it doesn't happen on its own. We are interconnected beings here to love and serve one another. So when we can walk that out, when we can lend our strength, when we can go two by two, because again, health in a goodness culture isn't a moment. It's a movement. It takes all of us to contribute to health. It takes all of us to contribute to beauty, to move the moral arc of the universe toward justice. So if we're all in it to win it, then we all have to consider our fruit and how, if it's, if it's good fruit, it's going to taste good to others when we offer that. When we offer out of the overflow of our faithfulness to Christ, to be a faithful friend, to be, a, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be present for others. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot
0: of courage is what you're talking about that, you know, I think when, when I, when I think about your book, when I, you know, I'm halfway through your book at this point today and when I, a lot of it's, it's about having courage, which isn't necessarily a fruit of the spirit. Uh, but what, (laughs) what worthwhile thing in life actually happens without courage that what you're talking about is changing the, having the courage to change the culture of the environments we're in so that this is not acceptable. You know, it, it reminds me of something where early on in my leadership journey, um, not to do with like, um, creepy or inappropriate conversation or behavior. It was actually around the issue of sarcasm. I had a a mentor leader over me who basically said, um, we were going in a global context and I was leading a team. And in this, you know, pre orientation time, he said basically, um, on the, in this environment, we have a zero tolerance for sarcasm. And they said, because especially as a leader, uh, when you use sarcasm, it, there's always like this piece of truth to it. People aren't really sure what you meant. It makes people feel insecure and unsteady on your team because you might call something out that they feel ashamed about in front of other people and it just breaks trust. And so even if you think you're doing it in joke, you don't realize that as a leader, you have a lot of power and people might not actually find it funny, but they don't know what to do about it. So they, you know, they move on. So I really struggled with that at the beginning because sarcasm had been a lot of part of my my way of being. But when it was stated as a cultural thing that like in this culture, we do not do sarcasm. It changed the environment, uh, in which we worked and people had to have the courage even to say like, uh, you know what? Like that was like a sarcastic thing that you just did there. And like, we've already agreed. We've all agreed. This is a no sarcasm environment. So I, I say that just to say, oh, I love that. I've seen wow. it work with other issues like sarcasm, which is, I think a, 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 a different and smaller issue than what we're addressing here in this conversation, um, which is really more like violence against women at the end of the day. That's really what it comes down to is violence, whether it's violence in words or violence physically. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's making as a leader a decision. So what does that look like for you in your life? I know you lead in lots of places. Um, you know, as when we're thinking of how to be courageous and faithful towards others, um, You know, to create the good environment, to add good fertilizer and water <laughs> and sunlight into that greenhouse. Uh, what are some things that you, you know, when you walk into the, or you would recommend to a team um, that's establishing themselves or reestablishing themselves to make sure this isn't part of their environment?
2: Right. I think we have to first, again, out of, I just love that we're we're camping on faithfulness as we are being faithful, uh, and we are living out that fruit of the spirit. It requires empathy. It requires empathy wherever we go. And the way that empathy can really, uh, get some legs under it. And in a practical sense, whether you're, um, at work or at, at church or wherever you occupy, or if you're on a team, is considering power dynamics. And there's just a few I want to run through because we operate from our point of view with our family of origin, with our trauma, with our emotional baggage, with our education, with our resources, with our connections. But we see through just those glasses on autopilot. But if we are empathetic to run through a bit of a, uh, just a checklist of other power dynamics, seeing where somebody else is coming from, we can go a lot farther, a lot faster. And our empathy can allow everyone to feel seen, known, belong and really have the wings just to, to fly and do what they're there to do and work hard, play hard, whatever the case may be. So let's run through these first physical size. Consider your physical size and how someone might feel when they're standing up and talking to you and they're taller or you're smaller, or maybe you're the one who's taller and someone else is smaller. Physical size is the unsung power dynamic that we don't often consider but has a huge impact, especially between men and women. And secondly, that leads into just gender. Think of, think of how you come across. If you're a, if a privileged white man and you're talking to a woman of color who maybe grew up lower to middle class, consider what might be going through her head right now. What might she be thinking about? Consider class. Consider their experience and their socioeconomic, uh, place in the world and how they spend and how they save and what they might see as normal that you might not see as normal. Consider their point of view. So we've talked about physical size. We've talked about gender. We've talked about class platform, platform forward slash reputation. Everybody walks in the room with a different platform with a different reputation and I don't mean like social equity platform I mean like your platform of how people see you of how you carry yourself of your access to power when you consider that and when you consider it, you might be able to say something that's sarcastic, but they know they can't get away with saying something sarcastic. Or you could say something in the name of candor that's so hurtful and painful, but they can never speak up and talk to you like that. So thinking of how those dynamics work out and your power and what your power looks like when you speak in your nonverbal cues and your physical distance from somebody of how you walk into a room, those are all things that we so easily miss. But we have to remember so much of our communication is nonverbal. So before we even talk, those are all things that we just walk in the room with of those power dynamics. And we all live at the intersection of different power dynamics. No two people are alike. So when, again, class, physical size, um, gender, and of course race. If somebody is a person of color or a minority, or if someone's not, or taking into account ethnicity and cultural background, Western versus Eastern, Northern versus Southern, there's a lot to consider. So as we all look at each other and believe that everyone is worthy of inherent dignity, just as we are not because we think they deserve it, but because they exist, then we operate from a place of humility. There's a posture of humility there that's required to live, uh, to live in the vein of empathy and to truly see from other people's point of view. Again, it's something we can walk in there. It costs us nothing and can change the entire culture of a place of a space. And it's so necessary.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of, this is Brené Brown 101, the empathy, <laughs> uh, the idea of having an emotional awareness of other people and how you affect them and how they experience the world. Um, yeah. Because I think so yeah. often when, um, you know, when men are publicly hung up to dry for these, you know, these, you know, for this stuff going on in their life, they often say like, I didn't know. I didn't know right. that bothered people. I didn't know that was a thing. Or I come from a generation where this is just how we all talked. Uh, and this right. is not acceptable anymore. Um, and a lot of it is really the plea. I mean, I, not justified, but just this plea of ignorance. You know, I just yeah. didn't know. And and even in ignorance, well, especially in ignorant, ignorance, that we can like deeply hurt people. <laughs> um yeah. Um, yeah. Even if we didn't know we were doing it, it's less about intention and more about action—what uh, mm-hmm. we actually did, not what we intended yeah. to do. Um, yeah, that the can get us- is,
2: is what's to be evaluated for sure. Yeah,
0: you say in your book we need more Nathans, uh, as in Nathan and David. Can you talk to us a bit about that?
2: Yeah. So in the story of David and Bathsheba, we've often, especially if you grew up in church in Sunday school. You got the vibe that Bathsheba was in some way deserving of her harm. Yeah. That she should have been, yeah, she was asking for it. She shouldn't have been on the rooftop out there for all to see. And in reality, as biblical scholars have unpacked for us, it was after her time of the month, she was doing her monthly cleansing that was normal in that period um, in the ancient world. And a voyeuristic David who had all the power in the world sees her, decides, I want that. She was an object. She was not a person. She did not have a a value besides what he could do or conquer her. And so he commands. And so now we already see the subservient nature of his complicit men who fetch her for him. So now there's other, you know, there's other guilty parties involved now and bring her and he takes advantage of her body. It's akin to basically sexual assault. And you know, her husband loses his life in this. I mean, this is just the most terrifying story possible that we have packaged in a way that David comes out looking like the good guy. And in reality, what we have is a modern day whistleblower, Nathan, meaning the word got out of what David had done so much so that Nathan comes to him and doesn't uh, soft pedal his, his his call for repentance, he goes straight for the jugular and says to him, you done did it. I know what you've done. You have got to repent for this and you are not gonna have all that you currently do. His own son uh, wanted the throne. He lost so much of his kingdom. This idea that he was free of consequences is not the case. He faced so much. He never had what he did before his account with Bathsheba. And so even though we don't see Bathsheba and Nathan in the same scene, if you will, Nathan is very much an ally, a a whistleblower, somebody who will step up to the plate and speak truth when it's necessary and call to the carpet and demand accountability. And so many of us can glean from his example of what it looks like to speak truth to power And not allow ourselves to be victimized in the process, thinking that we are somehow traitors to the organization, the institution, or the church, or somehow out to defame a good man. But in reality, demanding accountability where accountability is wholeheartedly necessary. And I just love how Nathan plays that out for us. And we must not overlook the fact that David did repent. And many of our modern stories, especially in the last four or five years, we have men who've been ousted from their positions, both in sacred and secular culture, but we haven't seen repentance. We very rarely seen repentance. I think, especially in the faith space about every quarter, we're providing an example of a man who has abused his power at a woman's expense and pleaded this card that you just mentioned of, I didn't realize it came across that way, or I didn't know she felt uncomfortable or all of these things. But in reality, it still happened. It still happened and someone was taken advantage of and we must hold people accountable. And again, we're watching their public sorrow play out and we often don't see the victim's sorrow play out because that's not for our consumption. And so it does pull on our heartstrings and we offer what scholars call empathy, empathy to the perpetrator, to the abuser of power. When we need mm, to shift that and give it to the victim who really deserves it taking a pause from the conversation
0: with Tiffany to talk to you about waybase.com because they are in the midst of all that can be hard about church, Waybase is bringing the church together for good they're helping people in your ministry ministries across Canada connect together and make a greater difference through Waybase enabling them to connect for in some cases the first time to actually see what other ministries are doing in your community, find new partners, you can discover local and global causes. You can make a greater difference through collaboration of not being separated and siloed. We can actually understand our communities better. Like imagine if you were a church or a local uh, missions pastor or whatever you uh, are in your role. Imagine if you could see on a map of your city, for example, where Mandarin speaking people live, where those households are. And then you could actually connect with newcomers and connect them to existing Mandarin speaking people in your own church community and then set up events in those areas to welcome them into the neighborhood if they're if they're new to the neighborhood i mean whatever it may be just imagine if you could actually see the metrics of what's going on and then respond to it not just with your own church but with the greater church in your community that is what waybase and waybase.com is all about that's the point of it here's what i want you to do i want you to go to waybase.com i want you to sign up and claim your own listing your church your ministry is probably most likely, 99% likely, already on there, but we need you to claim the listing. So go to waybase.com to get it and start connecting with churches all across Canada. Yeah, yeah I think of you know a public story you know recently that has has a f- really h- affected a lot of us in the Christian world is the Ravi Zacharias story and you know the yeah. unraveling of of the entire ministry in the Canadian offices here where I live. The entire staff has lost their jobs at this point. They've closed the same in the UK offices. They've closed the American offices are reconfiguring themselves, but most people have lost their jobs. And all to say that I've seen some of the language on the Internet. And the challenge is, of course, he's not here. Ravi isn't here. Uh, Ravi is dead. And so this is all happening post uh, mortem, yeah. What is it? Post-mortem. Post mortem. I was gonna say postpartum. Yeah. That's with with mothers and babies. Post mortem. And <laughs> so there's there's a dynamic to that that's that's challenging. But I've seen some articles or some people's languages like you know he's like a David. We you know he's failed. He is a you know a gifted anointed leader. Uh, but the difference is that David repented, <laughs> and okay. David yeah. uh, David was like. You know, overcome by his own sin. And yeah. to the best of our knowledge, because based on the response of those closest to him, like his family, it seems that there was no admission of anything up until the moment he knew he was dying and he didn't take any opportunity available to him to, to do, to make a change, uh, in any way. Uh, it seemed like he was combative right to the end. So, so we need these Nathans, but not all people will respond like David as we see That's right. in, as yeah. in, you know, corporate culture, in church culture, all the rest that most people when confronted, we can expect won't respond you know, with weeping and sorrow and, you know, um, you know, like how David wrote these Psalms about, you know, what a wretched man he was and, you know, how he recognized his, his guilt and his need for, um, for God's, um, forgiveness and mercy in his life, which we all do need and we can all speak about, but I think that's the, we need the Nathans even if Davids don't act like Davids up the other side of it.
2: That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And that can be any of us. So many of us feel like, hey, I don't have enough power. I don't have enough voice or no one's going to listen to me. And in reality, we have an allegiance to the king. If if you're a follower of Jesus and, and if you are wrestling with this moral or ethical dilemma, you still have to live with yourself because you don't keep secrets. Secrets keep you. So for your own sanity, it is wise to report. It is wise to speak up because so much of this will haunt us if we don't. Yeah, it's
0: true. I think, um, a lot of it I think is in hindsight, isn't it? That we look back and say, could have wished. I remember one time I was with a group of, of people and, um, a person who, you know, clearly was mentally ill, was drunk, you know, a a person without a home on the streets here in my city. And, um, they had a large, like a double size wine bottle and they, Chose me out of a group of us walking together, about 15 of us. They came into the center of the group and smacked me up the back of the head. This guy smashed me up the back of the head with this full bottle of wine that he was, you know, working his way through. And, um, then he ran off, you know, yelling and swearing, you know, down the street. And, uh, there were a lot of, there were a bunch of guys in that group with me. And it's this classic scenario that we see play out in, yeah. in everyday life is that like, these guys like mouth drop open, watch this unfold, everyone freezes, and the guy runs away. And um, thankfully, you know, I, I had a, you know, I had a big bump on my head, maybe a mild concussion. That's a very small thing, really in the scope of things. But this guy who's this very jock kind of guy says to me like, you know, I always imagine in my head when I think of these situations, like I'm going to like, Do something. I'm going to chase the guy down. I'm going to tackle him. I'm going to, you know, I don't know, be a hero, you know, do something, react. But he said, but I didn't. I did absolutely nothing. Like literally. Yeah. yeah. Like he just watched it happen. And he could have, he was bigger physically. He was athletic. He he was a young guy. He could have done something, I suppose, to, I don't know what he would have done, but he could have done something, but he didn't. Just like we all do when these situations happen, typically we freeze. Uh, We don't do anything. And it's not till later looking back um, that we wish we had done something um, out the other end.
2: So, Which is why it's so I important mean, to have these yeah. conversations, and we can have these conversations with our children before something kicks off, before we witness something. It's it's opening those neural pathways to think, what would I do? How would I play this out? Because if I have a plan and it's something that I am putting it into my value system, when I see something or when I witness impropriety, I see myself as an ally to whoever is being victimized. And I have a role to play because if we don't have a plan, like you said, we'll freeze. And even more so, we're likely to freeze in a corporate environment where there's more than a few people. We will automatically, automatically shift to believe that somebody else will handle it. If, especially if it's going to cost us something physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, professionally, we're hoping somebody else will do the dirty work so we don't have to. And in reality, this is why I'm so passionate about this issue is because abusive power, just like that was abusive power in your situation. Abusive power happens every day in every place. And if we can have a plan before it happens and know what to do when it happens, we're all going to be better off.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're talking about... <laughs> Planned faithfulness. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah. you are planning in advance, imagining and playing it out, even role-playing it in some cases, how to be faithful to who I said I would be, the the thing I believe is true about Jesus and about his people, you know, the people, yeah. people in the world who he loves. I'm gonna plan it in advance that I will be faithful and then I will live that out. But yeah, I think the big question I, I want to sit with, I think that a lot of people would love to hear your reflections on is just ultimately it comes down to <laughs> why are you faithful still? Like, like, I think there's a like we've seen, I think the study, the statistic uh, in the pandemic coming out the other side is that a third of people will leave, have left church and will not come back on the other side of this thing. Um, you know, when all the churches are totally open and in some places, churches are totally open, but churches open, life is back to normal, whatever that means, they're not coming back. But and there's lots of reasons to deconstruct and tear this thing apart. There, we just talked about this stuff. There's toxicity, there's broken problems, there's yeah. broken things. But why, <laughs> after all you've seen, after all you've worked through, all the research you've done, you have the data to prove it? <laughs> like, why are you faithful?
2: Why do you keep coming yeah. back
0: to church, to Jesus, to been his asked, people?
2: I've been asked this question so often. Uh, so many have asked, like, you wrote a, a pretty scathing critique. Of the church and how scripture has been misinterpreted, Mm. and and men who have power, and you still are deeply, deeply in a love affair with the church. Like you just love Jesus. And it's truly because I don't know that I would have been able to heal through what I experienced personally in speaking truth to power if it wasn't for Jesus, if he didn't lead me through it. He was Mm. so faithful because for most of us, the hard things of our life, you can't go over them. You can't go under them. You got to go through them. And he's so faithful. Yeah. His faithfulness became my confidence who he was, was sufficient. And I, I, will never get over it. It's still the greatest story. It's one I'm willing to be wrong about as Rachel Haldeman says. Um, and, and just for me as an immigrant adopted, you know, transracial adoptee, Identity has always been a big deal and and any adoptee will tell you that when your primal connection to your family is severed, that can really shake a person's identity and who they are and why they exist and what their meaning in life is and that's been so satiated in Jesus and that foundation, that cement has been dried for so long, he's just too good. He's just too faithful. He's just too kind. And like you said, we're all deconstructing and there's definitely a a space for that. That can be really healthy if we grew up in um, toxic places or spaces. But I pray that as we reconstruct, we would do it with the divine leading because he still is the pastor of the church. He's the head. He's the beginning and the end. He's still the one who can hold us and heal us.
0: Yeah, what what are some ways you would say to people... You know, I think of my own friends, you know, people who are walking away or sick of all this, who've seen the corruption and say, I can't be part of it. Um, you know, what would you say to those people in terms of, you know, the wisdom of rejecting something, but also how do you keep a, a softness or a soft heart if if people are, are going through this, have been really hurt? Um, and, and are angry, maybe righteously angry about what they've seen. How do you stay, how, what would you say to someone to stay in it, to stay soft?
2: Yeah, what a good question. I would say there's a time for necessary endings, especially when you've witnessed compromise in the church, especially as we have a racial reckoning, we're witnessing widespread misogyny and sexism. It's just so, so, so discouraging. And you might say to yourself, I don't want to be a party to this. Like this isn't who I am. This doesn't represent me. And I would say, as you lean away from toxic, compromised spaces, lean in to the person of Jesus. Lean as much as all the energy that you're taking away from that toxic space, put all of that investment into Jesus and in communing with Jesus and allowing him to reframe and reshape because I'll tell you what, that will keep you very tender. And again, it'll keep you empathetic. It'll keep you compassionate to who Jesus came to love and serve.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Um, You know, it's the it's the not just deconstruction, but then reconstructing. Um, Yeah, uh, Brené Brown again, uh, not necessarily a religious writer, but the way she talks about empathy has reminded me of her writing. And and she talks about uh, strong back, soft front. This idea of like you have the strength to carry. Um, weight, burden, hardship, um, carry other people, carry their, car- carry one another's burdens. Um, uh, but a soft front is in that you aren't hard hearted. You are open and hopeful, um, to what might be next, to what might be, what might be coming. And I see that in you. Uh, I love that. I see your strength, but I see your tenderness as well. Um, mm. you know, it's very Jesus like of you. I love that. Um, oh,
2: thank you, friend. Okay.
0: You know, um, what are you working on now? What, um, what are you wanting to point people to that you're excited about, that you're kind of musing about? I mean, there's lots of stuff in the news is probably getting you all stirred up this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every week yeah. It doesn't matter when people listen every week. There's something stirring people up. But what are you kind of working on, um, as a communicator, a writer, a speaker, uh, you want to tell people about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, obviously writing and speaking and musing is pray tell. So if you want to grab that folks, feel free to do yeah. so. And really the next yeah. step of that, I, I, it's one thing to write about cultural change and what's necessary. And it's another thing to go and be a part of cultural change. So for me, uh, really excited to help organizations and businesses have this literacy to operate in a space where there is balanced power and be able to recognize how they have created toxic cultures when they didn't mean to. So being able to be of service in that way, um, I'm in seminary right now, so that's taking up quite a bit of time and I got some kids. Yeah, I taking awesome. up quite a bit of time. Um, but really I would say moving forward continuing to operate at the intersection of justice, faith, and women, and inviting women to see themselves as part of the answer and not the problem. Tiffany,
0: it's uh, been really great to have you. Thank you so much for writing Pray Tell, for having the courage to do it. You are lending your courage to others. We're going to link in the show notes so people can find all of that good stuff. And um, where do people find you on Instagram if people want to follow you?
2: At Tiffany Bloom. I hang out there almost every day. Awesome. Thanks, Tiffany. Talk soon. Uh, Bless you. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks so much, Tiffany. If you like this conversation, if you know somebody who needs to hear this, share this episode with a friend, post it on social, tell somebody about it, rate, comment, subscribe, share, click all the things that help us get these conversations that are helping us, that are encouraging us, that are inspiring, pushing us. Uh, to more people. Thanks so much to Compassion Canada and to waybase.com for making this podcast possible. We couldn't do it without them. And I want you to check out the links in the show notes to take action, to learn more. And if you feel inspired to be part of good things in the church, if you want to be faithful to the church, they might be able to be part of that for you. So next up on the podcast, we have Tim Day. Uh, Tim Day is going to be talking to us on gentleness. How do we lead well, but actually throttle our power? have our power under control. We're going to talk about toxic masculinity. We're going to talk about leadership bravado and leaders who've crashed in 2020, 2021. What does gentleness even look like for Christians in a practical way? So that's what we're talking about. See you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to WordMadeDigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators.